morning, Ike. Good morning. All right, if you, uh, if you want to go ahead and start taking your seats, we'll get started after our uh, extended time of greeting here. Hold on a second. When I set this thing for 30 minutes, it's easy, but now I'm just uh, struggling to figure out where 20 minutes is. <laughs> All right. Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, you're very welcome. Am I really loud? Okay, you could just, yep. So um, I'm going to, good morning, good to see you. Uh, gonna go ahead and pray, um, and, then, and then we'll get started. Uh, Lord, thank you. Uh, thank you that we can gather here this morning. Thank you for your word. Um, God, thank you. Thank you that you speak to us through your word. Thank you for, uh, for the, that, that we have the ability to have uh, each of us have copies of your word uh, so that we can read for ourselves what you have to say to us and what you say to us, and, 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 we, can, and we can read it throughout the week. Uh, thank you for that privilege. Uh, that that hasn't existed for so much of uh, so much of time so much time in the world. Um, so Lord, speak to me, uh, speak to all of us uh, through your word this morning, and these things we pray in your name, Amen. All right. So I'm going to ask you to do a little uh, exercise right now. You can close your eyes if you want to, but we're going to work on our imagination muscles. Just, to, just for a second, all right? So if you want to close your eyes, close your eyes. If, you, if that's weird, you can leave your eyes open. But I want you to imagine, I want you to imagine a stream of clear water. The water in this stream is cool and it's refreshing. And in your imagination, maybe you can hear the water flowing. Now by this stream, there's a tree. This tree is strong and it's tall, and the leaves are green. And underground, underneath the tree, there are these big, strong roots. And the tree sends these roots out to draw in water from the stream. And because of this water in the stream, the tree grows. The leaves of this tree, they're always green, and there's fruit hanging from the branches. Now, go ahead and hold this image in your mind for just a few more moments. So this image, you can open your eyes if you want, this image of a tree flourishing by the stream is what we're meant to have in our minds as we look at this psalm, as we look at Psalm 1. So, uh, okay, we're, we're starting psalms. We just finished First Peter, and you might be thinking, well, we just went straight through First Peter. Are we going to go through 150 psalms? We're going to be here for three years. Don't worry. We're not going through all the psalms. Um, but we are starting in Psalm 1. And, but I, I'll, I'll say a little bit about psalms, the book of psalms. So the book of psalms is actually a collection of psalms, and it was put together over hundreds of years, with, and, and it was written by various authors. And the final collection... Uh, of, of, of psalms that we have in our Bible, um, th this collection was finalized and completed in the Old Testament times, uh, but it wasn't until sometime after the Jews were exiled from Jerusalem 
and the temple was destroyed in Jerusalem in 586 BCE. So the purpose of this collection, one of the purposes, is the book of Psalms is it's a collection of prayers. So it's a prayer manual or a prayer book for the Jews who are now exiled without a temple in a foreign country. Another, another purpose of the book of Psalms is if you're Jewish and you're sitting in Babylon and you're wondering, how the heck did I get here? What about the promised land? What about the temple? What happened to my king and my country? Psalms walks us through the history and the story of Israel, and it helps to answer that question for the Jews sitting, sitting in exile. Now, we did just finish 1 Peter, and you might remember that in 1 Peter, one of the main themes is that we as Christians, we're also exiles. We are foreigners in a foreign land. We're waiting, we're looking forward to uh, when Jesus returns and we get to be with Him. And so, in the same way that the Jewish exiles in Babylon are looking forward to a time when they can return to Jerusalem, so we too are looking forward to a time when we will be with Jesus and we'll be with God in heaven. So, I think there's something in Psalms for us as well, even though we're not Jews in Babylon, right? Okay, so um, introductions are important. Uh, if, you, if you're going to read a book, you want to read the introduction because the introduction to the book tells you what the book's about. In the same way, the introduction to Psalms is very important. And so, Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 are considered to be the introduction to the book of Psalms. And we're looking at Psalm 1 today, and then uh, in a couple weeks we'll look at Psalm 2 uh, when I preach again. So, Psalm 1, introducing the collection, this book of Psalms begins with this image of a tree by the stream. The stream nourishes the tree, and the tree thrives. So, what does this mean? What does this image mean? What, and, and how is it used in the psalm? So, Psalm 1 is a comparison, and if you look at the title, the way of the wicked versus the way of the righteous, it's actually, that's, yeah, that, that's what's going on here. This is a comparison. See, there are two, and, and you can see this in verse 6. If you look down at the bottom, skip to the end, look at the bottom, verse 6. Um, there's two ways that we can choose to live our lives. We can live in the way of the righteous, or we can choose to live in the way of the wicked. That's the comparison. Two ways to live, and what we'll see is that the choices we make in life now will affect our lives in the future. Now, that statement on its own, that's not news to anybody. If I stay up late tonight and I drink a cup of coffee right before I go to bed, I'm going to lay awake in my bed until really early in the morning, right? But that's not the kind of choice that we have in mind here. Uh, the choices that we're talking about are the kinds of choices with life-changing effects. So, let's look at the text. Verse 1 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. And so, uh, I honestly don't remember what I said just now when I read it. Did I say blessed or happy? Blessed. Okay. I have, because I have happy written down here. I was going to talk about that. Now I don't remember what I said. Okay, but blessed, we have different ways that we use blessed, right, in the English language. Uh, and the same thing 
uh, in Hebrew, and so th- it does say blessed, but what the kind of blessing that we're talking about here is like happy or joyful. So we can read this as the man or the woman, uh, sorry, the one is happy that doesn't walk, stand, or sit in the way of the wicked, the sinner, or the scoffer. So, this guy, this person is happy. And there's a progression here. We see a progression because we've got these three lines, and there's a pro- progression of, uh, of uh, and it starts with the wicked. And wicked is just a way of saying people who aren't righteous. And then there's the sinners. Uh, and this is a way of saying that these are people who live a lifestyle of sinning. So, not only are they not righteous, but they live and they dwell in sin. And then the last one, the third one, scoffers, is a way of saying people who mock righteousness and mock God's way of living. Proverbs 21-24 defines the scoffer as the arrogant, bold man who acts with arrogant pride. So this progression of these different levels of unrighteousness, what we see here is this, this way, the way of the wicked, is you're, you're saying, I don't need to live God's way. I'm going to live my own way without God. But happy is the one who doesn't walk in the way of the wicked. This is where we find happiness. Okay, what does that mean? Let's find out. Verse 2. But his delight, and this is, this is the, the one, the happy one, whatever. Uh, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. So, law here is the word Torah, which could mean like literally the Torah, like the first five books of the Old Testament, but it also just means instruction. Um, And here, it means both because God's instruction certainly will include the Torah. Um, But the point is that the one who's happy is the one who finds delight in God's instruction, in God's way of living. And this delight is found in meditation on God's instruction day and night. And the result, what is the result of this choice? Well, that's the imagery that we looked at in the beginning with the tree. The one who chooses to walk in the way of the righteous, this person is like this tree, thriving by streams of water. And if you look, if you look just at the first line or maybe the second line in verse 3, you're going to see that this isn't by chance. See, the tree is planted by the stream. The tree has been placed here on purpose, so the root is near the water. And that's what it is to meditate on God's instruction. Meditation is purposeful. It's intentional. When we meditate, we're doing something intentionally. And what we find is that purposeful immersion in God's instructions is delightful, and it's fruitful. And this idea of meditation is something we get, now not just from the Psalms, we get this other places in Scripture, but it's something we get from the Psalms, and it's a really big theme throughout the book of Psalms. Now, poetry, uh, poetry, Psalms is poetry mostly, or poetry and songs, but it requires us to slow down when we read. And poetry, for some of you, is probably a bit scary because it's hard to understand, because you can't just read it fast. You have to slow down. You have to slow down and think about what you're reading. 
you have to consider it. You have to roll it around in your mind. You have to sink your teeth into it. We have to meditate on these words. And so purposeful immersion in God's instruction, purposeful immersion is what meditation it is, is what meditation is, and we find it to be delightful and fruitful. So, like the, the passage says, verse 3, uh, this, this man, this happy, blessed man is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. Now, this is a comparison, right? This psalm. So, if we're comparing, and, and this is what the righteous is like, what is, the, what is the wicked like? Or the way, you know, where does that lead? Where does that lead us? Well, in verse 4, it tells us the wicked are not so. The wicked are not like this tree planted by the streams of water. Instead, they're like chaff that the wind blows, drive, uh, that the wind drives away, which is like saying, here today, gone tomorrow. Dust in the wind. See, the one that chooses to live their own way apart from God, well, they have what they have chosen isn't lasting. And the result, we see in verse 5 and 6, the wicked will not stand in judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. The Lord knows the way of the righteous. And this knowledge, this isn't a set of facts like, I know how to get to Aldi. This is a much deeper intimate knowing. It's knowing the way of the righteous because God is the builder. He's the one that established the way of the righteous. He's the one that made it. Like a shepherd knows his sheep and watches over them. God knows us. God knows the righteous and he watches over us. But the way of the wicked will perish. So, it's pretty clear what happens to the way of the wicked, right? That ends, uh, that, that is not fruitful, that is not prosperous. Uh, but let's think more about the way of the righteous. What does it mean to be blessed and to prosper? What does it mean then, and what does it mean for us today? So keeping in mind that Psalms is a collection of poems that was gathered together at a specific time for a specific purpose, um, we're going to keep in mind uh, We're going to keep in mind what it would be like if you're a Jew trying to make sense in Babylon of what happened to your nation, to your city, to your temple. So to a Jewish audience that's familiar with their own texts, verse 2 of this psalm is really familiar because it's a direct quote. It's a, uh, so go ahead and, if you want, flip in your Bible over to Joshua 1.8. And while you're turning there, I'm going to talk about what's happening in Joshua 1.8. So, Moses is about to die, and before he dies, he commissions Joshua as the new leader to lead Israel into the promised land. Then Moses dies. He's mourned, and now it's time to cross the river. So, God speaks to Joshua, and he says in verse 8, he says, this book of the law will not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. 
So for a Jewish audience, what Psalm 1 brings to mind is hundreds of years ago when Israel's about to enter the promised land. Here, God reminds Joshua of the covenant and urges him to obey the law. And so Jews in exile will also be reminded of the covenant and God's urging for them to obey the law. What they'll also be reminded of is what happened, what Israel did once they entered the land. Because Israel didn't always obey the covenant, did they? Sometimes they obeyed and they prospered. Sometimes they disobeyed, they worshiped other gods, false gods, and they were unfaithful. They disobeyed God and they did not prosper. And so this cycle goes on and on throughout the history of Israel, and eventually they're expelled from the land, right? And this is where they find themselves. So Psalm 1 it reminds them of what happened and why they're in exile. But at the same time that it answers that question, it offers hope. It offers hope because even in exile, Israel's given the opportunity to delight in God and to delight in His instruction. This is the same for us today, right? We have the opportunity to make this same choice. We have the same choice today that Jews in exile in Babylon had. We can choose to walk in the way of the righteous, to delight in God and delight in His Word, or we can choose the way of the wicked, the path of destruction. So, we have this choice before us, and this choice that we make today is going to have life-changing effects on our future. So, what will you choose? So think about this metaphor of the tree. In the metaphor, you're the tree, right? And the stream is God's Word. And just like water is nourishing for a tree, God's Word, His instruction, His way is nourishing for you, for your life and for your soul. If you choose to root yourself in God's Word, you will prosper, you will grow, you will be fruitful. Now, I'm going to interject something right here because we don't want to be confused about what it means to prosper, right? This doesn't mean that you're going to get a great job or that you're going to be uh, successful in all your stock investments or you're going to become a uh, a star football player or something like that, uh, famous or or influential. So let's think about what does a tree do when it prospers? It grows. It produces fruit. It does tree stuff, right? It doesn't get like a shiny red sports car. It's the same thing for you and me. Prosperity here and fruitfulness here doesn't mean worldly success. The way that God relates to us is not transactional. When I go to the shop, I hand the guy at the register, I hand him some money, and he hands me a product. I'm happy, I walk out the door. But that's not how God relates to us. God relates to us not in a way that's transactional. He relates relates to us in a way that's personal. So what he's telling us here through Psalm 1, he's not telling us how to get ahead in life. He's imparting wisdom to us so that we can know how to live well. So if you choose to root yourself in God's word, 
you will prosper. The other option is to root yourself in the way of the wicked, to live your own way, dust in the wind. So, with this choice, what will you choose to do? Will you choose to root yourself in God's Word? Will you choose to delight in the law of the Lord and meditate on it day and night? I'm going to go with everybody's going to say yes, okay? This, I'm not asking for you to stand up and raise your hand or anything like that. And so what I'm going to do now, what I want to do now is I want to talk about meditation because I, I think, you know, we've looked at a little bit, you know, like what's the benefit, what are, you know, but, but what is it? Like what am I doing? Do I need incense? Do I need crystals? What's going on here? All right? So, and how do I do that day and night? What does that even mean? Okay? So day and night is just, uh, it's, a, it's a literary fancy way of saying all the time, all right? Um, so let's talk, uh, so, so how, do, how do we do this all the time? Step one, you gotta consume some scripture. Now you'll notice I didn't say read because I know some people don't like reading or they, they have a problem with that, but you have to consume scripture. So for a lot of us, that's going to mean reading. For some of us, that's going to mean listening or some of us is gonna mean reading and listening at the same time. Um, but the point is, the Bible is the number one way that God speaks to us. So we have to be reading it, because if you're not reading it, or you're not listening to it, if you're not consuming the Scripture, well, then we don't have anything to meditate on, right? Okay, so uh, get a Bible app. Uh, if, if, you, if, you, if you want to uh, engage in a Bible reading plan because you don't know where to start, uh, get a Bible app. And all Bible apps have Bible reading plans in them, and there are many Bible apps that have, that, that have the ability to read to you. So if uh, reading is a problem for you or you get easily distracted, have it read to you, like an audiobook. Um, and if you, if you want to, to get some help choosing a Bible app, I have some audio Bible apps that I like to recommend because I think they do a really good job, and I'd be very happy to uh, help you find those for your phone. Okay, so the number one thing uh, step one is we've got to consume some scripture. Step two is we're going to choose something to meditate on out of what we've been consuming um, from scripture. And so this can be like a passage that has impacted you or a passage that encourages you. It can be a passage that shows you an attribute of God or that praises God. It could be a passage that's difficult for you. Maybe you don't like what it says or maybe you don't understand what it says and you want to understand and you want to understand it better. So you could choose something to meditate on. You could choose a worship song, a song that is biblically sound. Um, so any of the songs that we sing here would probably be fine, and you can meditate on the lyrics of the song that tell you about God and draw you in to praise God and to worship God. Step three, do it. Okay. So, this is the part where it's like, all right, but you still didn't tell me what meditation is. Okay, so sometimes we think about meditation as if it's like a weird kind of new agey thing that like, you know, they do down at the prom, you know, when they're doing yoga, right? Okay, well, uh, that's true. They do do that down at the prom when they're doing yoga, but meditation isn't just a secular or a new age activity. It's, uh, it is very biblical. I might, you might even say that Meditation is biblical, and all these other uses of meditation are just borrowed and secularized. They've taken God out of it, all right? Um, but there is a very strong and rich history of meditation in the Psalms, in the Old Testament. 
So, the goal in popular meditation today is to empty your mind, right? Well, maybe you don't know this, so I'm telling you, okay? The goal of meditation, popular meditation, is to empty your mind. And as your mind is in this state of nothingness and emptiness, you find inner peace. And that's not what we're doing. We are emptying our minds of distraction, but we're not emptying our minds. We're filling our minds with the Word of God. So biblical meditation is not about emptying your mind. It's about filling it. And when you fill it with God's Word and with His instruction, this is where we do find peace, and we find delight, and we are nourished by God's Word. We're immersing ourselves in God's Word. So you've picked out what you're going to meditate on so you can find a place that's quiet, right? That's helpful for me. I like to close my eyes because I am easily distracted. So I'm going to find a place that's quiet or close my eyes. I can't listen to music because music is distracting, but you might listen to music when you're meditating if it helps you focus. And then what you do, the actual meditating bit is like you'll read the passage and you'll read it over and over and over again, and you'll be repeating it in your mind. Or you'll pick a phrase out, the phrase that you want to meditate on, this attribute of God, um, or whatever it is, and you'll repeat it in your mind, and you'll focus in on this, and then you'll get distracted, and that's okay. That's part of meditation. And you'll push away the distractions, and then you'll return to what it is that you're meant to focus on. You'll drive out distraction. You'll focus your mind on God's Word, and who God is. And as you begin to do this, as you do this, you drink from the stream of God's instruction. You're drinking from God's life-giving words. Okay. Now, it's hard, right? This, this is not something that's easy, and, and there are so many obstacles to meditation. I'm easily distracted. I don't know how to do it. I don't know what to meditate on. I can't find a quiet time or a quiet place. Are you sure this isn't new age? So if you're thinking any of these things, you are in good company. These are problems that everybody has. Part of prayer, part of meditation is you're going to be distracted. And so it's not about building up a tolerance to not being distracted. It's about refocusing when you are distracted. And as you learn to do it, you'll learn to do it longer and it'll become more comfortable and familiar to you. And so I say everybody has this, and I don't mean that to blow, to blow you off or to say, ah, get over it. I mean that you can go to your friends or to your brothers and sisters here in this room, and you can ask for prayer about it, and you can ask for help, and we can support each other and spur one another on because we all get it. We're all in the same position. So what about day and night, all the time? What does that mean? How do we, how do we meditate all the time? Because that sounds like I have to go join a monastery or something or a convent. The best way that I found to meditate day and night on Scripture for me has been Scripture memorization because it requires a little bit of effort, but then it's there in my mind. I don't have to, I don't have to go anywhere. If I'm standing in line, you know, at the coffee shop, I can recite a verse in my mind. Um, and this isn't like, you know, what we do for kids in Sunday school where, like, you recite, you know, some scripture and we give you a sweet as a reward. If you come up to me after this and recite a piece of, script, you know, a verse to me, I'm not giving you a sweet. Um, I might give you a fist bump. Um, but the idea is that we're internalizing scripture. 
and by focusing on it and thinking about it, it becomes a part of us. And meditation is important when you begin to pray because meditation, it draws me in to a place of prayer. And then prayer draws me in to a place of meditation. And they work together as we drink from the stream of God's Word. So get yourself some note cards. If you want to learn a trick on how to memorize Scripture really fast, come talk to me because a really smart guy told me how to do it one time, and it actually works. Um, Because we're out of time. So, the point to all this, the idea of meditation, the, the exercises that we've mentioned here, what we're doing is we're training our minds. Where does your idle mind gravitate to? Where do your spare thoughts go? When you're staring into space, thinking about nothing, what's actually on your mind? This is what it means to meditate day and night. When you meditate on Scripture, it becomes easier the more you do it. It becomes more natural. You replace your idle thoughts with godly thoughts. And sometimes our idle thoughts aren't that bad. We're thinking about football or uh, the rugby match or something, but sometimes our idle thoughts, well, they're not godly. They're sinful. But we can replace those with God's Word. Immersing ourselves in God's Word, we find delight in God and we prosper as believers. What you choose to do today, where you choose to root yourself, has life-changing consequences. Where are you going to choose? What will you choose? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for, your, for, for this psalm and, and uh, your, your encouragement to us to meditate on who you are and on your word and to find life-giving instruction from you. God, give us wisdom. Give us the wisdom to make, these, uh, to make these decisions, Lord. Give us the encouragement. Send your spirit to, to stir in our hearts, to give us the desire to spend time with you in your word, to meditate on your word, and to spend time with you in prayer. Lord, teach us to know you. Teach us to love you. These things we pray in your name. Amen.